John's been through it all. Went through 99, 19 million bucks in revenue, went public. Then it got just unrealistic and just fantasy land. He held on though to the stock, was acquisitive in terms of buying up distribution partners, and then ultimately exited and took that, that company was taken private for about 1.4 billion. He didn't even take a break. Day after, launches a company called Lifeomic. Why? Because he's passionate about the space convergence of healthcare plus cloud computing and really what he calls, and I think the industry calls, prescriptive health as they look to scale, or sorry, precision health as they look to scale. Just signed a big contract with Indiana University as kind of their first paid pilot. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Don Brown. His first company was acquired by EDS in 1986. He founded Software Artistry in 1988, which became the first software company in Indiana to IPO. He then founded and served as CEO of Interactive Intelligence, which went public in 99 and was acquired in 2016 for $1.4 billion. He then started Lifomic in late 2016. He received a BS in physics and MS in computer science and an MD from Indiana University. Also received an MS in biotechnology from John Hopkins University in 2016. 17. Don, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, you bet. All right. A lot of history here. You've seen patterns. You've seen trends. You've done a lot here. Talk to me about Lifeomic. What's the company do and what's your revenue model? How do you make money? Uh, well, we're still trying to figure out the revenue model. We're, we're more concerned right now about uh, building a cloud-based platform for precision medicine. Uh, we all know that uh, in order to treat people better, we've got to utilize all this big data we're accumulating about them. And that's what we're trying to facilitate at Lifeomic. And what, you know, educate me here. I don't know what precision, I don't know what that means. What What is that? Well, unfortunately, medicine is a lot of trial and error today. Uh, you go in, doctors will try you on uh, uh, one medicine, whether it's uh, for hypertension or depression or whatever. Um, if that doesn't work or has side effects, they'll try uh, another. Uh, the situation is even worse with serious diseases like cancer, uh, you know, where you may not uh, have the opportunity for uh, multiple trials. Uh, and so um, we're starting to get better about taking information, uh, your uh, DNA sequence, for example, and uh, using that to more t- uh, specifically tailor treatments to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and who do you envision? I want to talk to you about how you got into this space. But before I do that, who do you envision really, really powering you from a resource perspective in terms of paying you as a customer so you can drive future growth? Will it be Will it be the end consumer that wants to make smarter decisions, like a WebMD almost, or will it be the other side? Well, we're, we're kind of approaching it from both angles, kind of uh, top down and, and bottom up. Uh, we're working with uh, large academic medical centers like uh, at uh, my alma mater, the Indiana University School of Medicine. Uh, they're they're loading up uh, information about thousands of cancer patients. Uh, to uh, try to use our machine learning and other techniques to figure out who's going to respond to a particular treatment and who uh, won't. But uh, along the way, we started to get interested in uh, kind of uh, the patient side of things. So we've uh, developed a mobile app uh, that uh, we're rolling out for free to uh, end users to try to kind of guide them along toward uh, precision health from an individual uh, standpoint. Any platform that's using machine learning or AI is only going to be as strong as the unique inputs you feed it. So what of these inputs have you kind of monopolized? Maybe that's a bad word. You know, we don't want to get in trouble here. But what of these assets have you acquired and how are you making sure they really help your, your machine learn? Well, the, the great thing about uh, healthcare is that there's no shortage of data. Uh, so what we do is try to combine information from 
uh, classic electronic medical records. So what drugs you're on, what diseases you've been diagnosed with, uh, those sorts of things. Um, and then uh, your whole genome sequence. Do I have to uh, opt so, in for that though, Don? How do you get that data? Well, I, I uh, it depends on kind of uh, whether it's we're approaching from the top or the bottom when uh, we're working with a large academic uh, institution like IU they have this data from patients I see so they're sequencing cancers for example and uh, the normal tissue from patients and then feeding that data into uh, our systems uh, if you come into us via uh, a web app, uh, then uh, it's up to you to bring that data either from a service like 23andMe or to go out and have your uh, genome sequenced and uh, uh, upload that uh, information. Interesting. Is that really the main input you're using? It's your genome sequence? Um, really, it's a combination. Your, your uh, uh, genome sequence uh, tells us about the potential. Uh, so for the most part, uh, there are a few genes uh, where you've been dealt a bad hand, you know, uh, that's just uh, the, the luck of the draw. But most genes uh, really are affected by the environment. And so it's that combination of your whole genome sequence and uh, your uh, environmental exposure. Mm-hmm. No, it makes, makes good sense. Um, pre-revenue today, still exploring pricing? Well, actually, we just uh, signed uh, our first uh, deal with uh, IU, with uh, the School of Medicine. So uh, we have a subscription model. We basically charge based upon uh, the amount of data and the sort of computational load that it uh, imposes. Measured by so what? I'm sorry? How, measure, com- what's the actual metric you're measuring? Computational load based off what metric? Well, I... Uh, Basically, it maps onto uh, the underlying AWS model. Oh, I see. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the computational cycles as well as storage. Uh, so uh, it's uh, uh, kind of a one level of abstraction higher, but it's largely the same thing of, of compute and storage. Yep. Okay, interesting. And so I noticed on your pricing page, you kind of have the opt-in, which means it's going to probably you when you're trying to figure out pricing kind of as you go along here. Um, how do you... Uh, that that conversation with IU um, is it is it kind of a pilot thing? Do you go directly to a you know one year, two year, five year term? How do you structure these early deals? Well, we structured a two year agreement with uh, them that's renewable. Uh, but we've been working with them for uh, about a year already. Uh, so that it's kind of a special case. We already knew them; they uh, knew us. Uh, but uh, we're, we're doing pilot uh, sorts of programs with other academic uh, institutions, cancer institutes as well. Mm-hmm. And as you move forward, maybe not with IU, but your ideal kind of target customer you're working with. I mean, are we talking really kind of million dollar ACVs or hundred thousand dollar ACVs? I mean, where, what scale do you have to be at for your thing to really add value, would you say? Uh, well, certainly there are small projects that can be in that $100,000 uh, sort of range, but on up into the multi-million dollar uh, sorts of uh, contracts. Uh, as I said, we're starting off with uh, these large academic uh, medical institutions, but we really think this whole notion of precision medicine, precision health will filter down into corporate wellness programs. Uh, so uh, we plan to offer uh, kind of a freemium model where uh, 
Uh, organizations can use our mobile app and our cloud platform for free for their uh, employees or uh, members. Uh, and then uh, we have more specialized services that we can offer on top of uh, uh, what comes in the freemium version. Yep. And uh, so so was year one kind of officially last year, 2017? Yep. Okay, that's great. And what's the team size today? Uh, about 50. Five people. zero. Okay. Yeah. And have you kind of self-funded this or did you decide to raise capital? No, I've uh, funded it all out of pocket uh, myself so far. It feels good to be able to do that, right? It does. <laughs> it is nice. Well, you know, someone else might say, Don, why are you risking your own capital? You've had success. It should be easy for you to go risk other people's capital. What would you respond? I, you know, when it's your own capital at risk, you can do whatever the hell you want and you don't have to answer to anybody. Uh, you don't have to be overly concerned about uh, generating revenue. Uh, so what I did was go out and hire cancer researchers, uh, bioinformaticians, really strong uh, cloud uh, software engineers, mobile engineers, um, and uh really just try to tackle a big problem without being overly consumed about how we make money in the short term. Yep. No, that's a good, it's a good place to be. And the 50 folks, where's everybody based? Oh, roughly a third uh, across Indianapolis, Research Triangle Park and uh, the Salt Lake City area. Okay, very good. So three separate spots there. And yep. uh, and help me understand kind of why get into this space. It sounds like you've had some exits in your past. You've had some success. What prompted you to jump into the space? Uh, just intellectual interest. I went through medical school a long time ago and uh, I went over to the dark side of business, you know, started a little software company while I was finishing up med school. You're talking and, interactive intelligence? Uh, well, there was two companies before that. Uh, yeah, interactive was uh, my most recent one. Um, and uh, I, I've just always had a love for the life sciences. I, I, I got involved, you know, did a master's program at Johns Hopkins and kind of re went back through biochemistry and cell biology, all the cool stuff. And, you know, it's just an opportunity to get in, into a field super exciting because there's this convergence of cloud technologies, AI, and then all we've learned about how the body works and, you know, sequencing the human genome, all those sorts of things that uh, I think is going to usher in uh, a revolution in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Now, interactive intelligence, uh, you know, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because there's, I'm sure there's some lessons here. This was the kind of telecommunications, right? In cloud computing. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, and you founded 1994? Uh, yeah. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere in there? That's, that's right. So, so it's very rare you see a founder that goes from day one, I think you and David launched it back then, to all the way you know, up to IPO to the point where you were, I believe, taken private in 2016 by Genesis. Um, how did you have to change and adapt and learn through that? What was the biggest challenge? Yeah, it, it was it was a real learning experience because we went from I founded the company. And so we went from one employee uh, in the beginning to about uh, twenty three hundred uh, at the end. Uh, so, yeah, it's you know, when you uh, go through those stages, it's like uh, being in multiple companies uh, every year or two. It's a, a really a new company. You know, we expanded. We had operations around the globe. We made the transition from a client server architecture to an AWS based uh, cloud uh, solution about uh, four or five years ago. So it was just a hell of a lot of fun, a lot of uh, business and technical challenges. 
you know, I, I did uh, uh, close to 80 uh, quarterly earnings calls, you know, which was real experience. Uh, so, you know, just the different sorts of challenges all along the way. You went through 99. In fact, you took advantage of that as when you went public. And I think you raised caught 29 million then and popped 141%. When you look back on that, uh, what are your takeaways? Oh, well, start with, by the way, start with what your revenue was when you went public. Oh my God. I think we went public. Uh, We, uh, we released our product in 97 and uh, did $1.5 million in revenue in 98. We did $9 million in 99. When we went public, we did $18 million in uh, revenue. At least you had revenue, right? There's so many people with no revenue. So were you were you way overpriced or was the market actually pretty fair and bearish for you in 99 when you went public? Oh, no, it was it was crazy. We popped within a year. We had a three quarter of a billion dollar market cap. I mean, what uh, were you? That's something is like, you're, are you married? I, I was at the time. OK, when you're sitting there and you go home like dinner with your wife and you're going, honey, like, look, well, I guess you didn't have phone to point out like the stock charts. But you said, hey, honey, look at the printout. Today. Look at my Palm Pilot. Look at the spike today. I mean, what was going through your head? You know, I didn't sell any stock. I, I, I for, for one thing, it just felt unreal. Uh, and it, it just felt wrong on some level that I, I just didn't feel right about selling stock at that sort of uh, valuation uh, so I just kind of uh, rode along. Uh, the stock price went from a high of, I think, 54 bucks a share uh, back then to a low of under $2 Wow! Uh, within three or four uh, years. Uh, my wife was not very happy at that point. <laughs> and you said you're not married now. Did you get divorced because of that? <laughs> I, well, yeah, somewhere along the way, I uh, put a lot of pressure on the relationship. That's funny. Okay, now you also were very acquisitive during your time, I think doing maybe 10 acquisitions between 07 and 2016, one in which you bought in 09 Acrosoft and then sold it again in 2016. Um, does that kind of strategy still work today, in your opinion, public companies? Can they, be a, can they do a roll up and still create value? We didn't exactly do a roll up. We we did a few tuck in acquisitions along the way. I'm an engineer by uh, you know by uh, training, and uh, so I always think I can build something better than anybody else, and that makes it kind of hard to do uh, acquisitions, at least for technology. But we we acquired distributors in Australia, South Africa, Germany. Uh, you know, we're, there were things like that that really made sense that added a lot of value to the company. You're talking like call time in Australia, Agora in, in German. Yeah. And it's interesting, though. So there's a big actually a lesson there, I think. You just said you acquire distributors. Like a lot of people that I have that listen to the show, you know, they don't think they think about building this product. They never think about actually just owning the distribution channels that they're pumping their product through because then you own the channel. You can put other products through it and it lasts a lifetime. You recognize that early on. Uh, yeah, it made a huge difference. We had an enormous success in Australia, for example, um, and uh, to uh, acquire our distributor there and build out our own team, it really propelled our, our business uh, in a major way. Interesting. Okay, and then wrap up the story for us. 2016, what was total revenue? And so so we can back into what the, the, the multiple was? Oh, God. Uh, Remember? No, I... <laughs> <laughs> were you active in 2016 or no? Uh, yeah, uh, we, we were acquired at the end of uh, 2016. I think we were doing uh, uh, roughly $100 million a quarter. 
Okay. Okay. So, and you've sold for 1.4 billion. So call it kind of three, between three and five X, something like that. Pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then, then what? I'm sure they tried to get you to stay on and you just said, I can't do this. I'm a horrible employee. I know they, they didn't even ask. Oh, wow. Okay. So you said, fine, I'm going to take a break and go relax. And you could only relax for a year before jumping into this. I didn't take, yeah, I didn't take a break. I think they, I think they thought I would take a break, but uh, I announced uh, Lifomic uh, the day after the deal closed with uh, Genesis. (laughs) That's so funny. Very good, Don. Let's uh, wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? I, oh, uh, Exponential Organizations. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, I, I certainly, I'm a, I'm a Tesla f- uh, fan, so I, I follow Elon's antics. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your company? Oh, um, I, I guess Jira. Jira, okay. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I... I'm a famous insomniac, so probably four or five. Okay, we'll call it five there. And then uh, you said not married. Any kiddos? I have eight kids. Oh, you have eight? Yes. Holy mackerel. Eight kids. Okay, wow. Are all entrepreneurs or no? I'm sorry? Are they, do they get the entrepreneurial bug? Are they all entrepreneurs or no? Uh, one so far. Okay, very good. And uh, how old are you? Uh, I'm 62. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Oh, I, <laughs> I, you know, that you can uh, do far more than what you realize at the time. <laughs> Guys, there you have it. Set big goals. Don's been through it all. Went through 99, 19 million bucks in revenue, went public. Then it got just unrealistic and just fantasy land. He held on, though, to the stock, was acquisitive in terms of buying up distribution partners, and then ultimately exited and took that, that company was taken private for about $1.4 billion. He didn't even take a break. Day after, launches a company called Lifeomic. Why? Because he's passionate about the space convergence of healthcare plus cloud computing and really what he calls, and I think the industry calls, prescriptive health as they look to scale, or sorry, precision health as they look to scale. Just signed a big contract with Indiana University as kind of their first paid pilot. We'll keep track, Don. Thanks for taking us to the top. Okay, thank you.